0: At Hodder Education, we know that every geography classroom need is different, which is why we have developed a wide range of print and digital Key Stage 3, GCSE and A-Level Geography resources, written by the experts that you know and trust. Whether it's the award-winning Progress in Geography, Key Stage 3 Online Bank of Resources, or our brand new set of My Revision notes written specifically for the exam board you deliver, we have the right set of resources to support your students. Visit wwwhoddereducationcouk forward slash geography today to explore more. Hello there and welcome to another job pod. Today, our special guest is Michaela Critchley, who's Programme Manager for Interclimate Network. Now, that's um, a registered charity with a mission to inspire young people in the UK to become leaders and advocates for action on climate change. So what a conversation to be having while COP26 is going on. Welcome to JobPod.
1: So much. Really nice to be here.
0: I know we've got to talk about COP26 and the impact on young people before we do that, I'd like to talk about you a little bit, because although you're into climate network, you've had an interesting journey to become that programme manager. I, I looked in at your, your degree as African Studies. You've got a certificate in Tropical Community Medicine and Health, and that's a distinction, so congratulations on that one, from, from the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine. And you've also got an MSc in global development management Uh, and your consultancy work has been really diverse too i I looked at one thing where you you were looking at sustainable housing policy by use for the, the the 7y energy agency project building to low carbon you've got an an amazing brief here so what was your journey how did you get to where you got to
1: yeah, I suppose right back in the beginning, it was um, it was too much choice, really. So I was very involved in school in all sorts of things. I did geography, A-level history and sociology, as well as art. And I really, really didn't want to drop any of them. I think this has been, the, I suppose, the theme through my life. I really don't want to drop any balls. So um, my sociology lecturer said to me at the time, why don't you think, I think he was joking, what about African studies, um, as it brought together all of those subjects and and so I pursued it and really really warmed to it so I loved it actually and and I suppose this is a theme to my life it's that sort of global perspective so African studies was the opportunity to study that in depth and then I went and volunteered and worked in Tanzania yeah. so I lived there for a few years and worked for a charity there for six years um including so t- in order to do that I felt that I needed to and more depth, and that's when I did the sort of, Tropical Community Medicine. Um, I'm not a medical trained person, but very much coming from the sort of grassroots community engagement side of things for the project we were doing there. And actually, that's been really relevant all through the MSC as well, was very much about bottom up approaches, community level engagement, and um, latterly, working with young people on for their, their engagement. So, it's been a thread through. Um, But diversity is the key to my life and um, and I really, really am very lucky to be able to to choose where I work and and which projects I'm involved with. So um, 7Y Energy Agency, one we've worked with um, and I work with different colleagues, so I'm an associate and freelance, also with other colleagues who lead projects such as this and I'm, I'm very lucky to be able to indulge my research fetish as well on many occasions.
0: Where were you in Tanzania? That's really interesting. We we had a school exchange, but that was on Zanzibar. But oh. uh, close.
1: Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. So um, the project I was involved with was right in the middle, so Tabora, uh, right in the centre of the country. But we did used to get to Zanzibar on the way through, and uh, I was responsible for a volunteer programme there. So volunteering has been another theme of my existence, and I've managed to continue that by still being a volunteer um, trustee with a local charity here that's, that's, based, that's work is in East Africa. So I've managed to keep that link uh, through them. Uh, yes, yeah, so so one last sort of anecdote is that um, my colleague, were a really small team at Interclimate Network, but one of my colleagues also did exactly the same course, African Studies at Birmingham University. We didn't even know each other then, and it was a tiny course, um, but we've obviously followed a similar trajectory, and here we are both working for the same charity. So very strange life
0: knitting through it all I have to say because I'm a geographer it's geography really because it gives it its sense of of place and understanding
1: completely yes so I, I love that you know I love the fact that we're able to do climate conferences that bring that to life so really what we do now is to sort of bring and a thread a, a well of my work is the development education association so after being at um, an international development Project for six years. Um, I then moved over to development education, which was very much about bringing those strands together into education here and geography being a key part of of the Development Education Association, with that curriculum really uh, touching together and working with the GA over many years actually uh, through the Development Education Association. And and it's been great to, to catch up with you now and see what you're doing.
0: There are a lot of centres around the country, aren't there, that, uh, that the teachers could get involved with if they if they knew uh, the contacts.
1: That's right. So um, the development education world is one that's been around for, for 30, 40 years, actually, and it's um, still there are centres around the country called Development Education Centres, and there's a network called the Consulting of Development Education Centres. We can probably share the link after this uh, podcast. And they support schools uh, through resources, through training and uh, all sorts of um, ongoing programmes that you can get involved with. And they've been extremely um, thorough and well-versed in, you know, expert really in, in development education. So highly recommend finding them if you don't know about your local centre.
0: Yeah, when I first asked the Geographical Association, I found some amazing resources at the local one in South Yorkshire. So I do, I would say to teachers, if they haven't looked at their local one, do search it out. There's some just an amazing resources that you can use almost straight away that have been well thought through. Um, and perhaps the only tweak that you need to make is to understand your own children when you're starting to use the material. I'd like to talk to you about your current work. With Interclimate Network now, the vision is, is amazing, and really powerful. Um, and it's that young people are empowered and enabled to lead, advocate, and take action towards environmentally sustainable behaviors and career choices and societal change. So that's very powerful. They're ambitious aims. On one of the previous podcasts, I talked to, to Radical Paul, and he he was saying the science is clear we face an unprecedented global emergency and we must teach for the Anthropocene it it is very powerful but there are some people who are still concerned about how much we advocate and how much we um, we encourage students to take action so just it's interesting to get a a comment from you so
1: I can understand that dilemma in a way and it's uh, the individual teachers, you know, it's around how far you. I think it's sort of a spectrum in my, in my mind. You know, you've got sort of very, very active young people who would class themselves to sort of themselves as activists, through to young people who really haven't engaged at all with these issues, and uh, you may, as a teacher, want to sort of pose all of those to that spectrum. But it's very interesting listening to young activists in some of the, uh, some of the occasions we've heard them. And they're saying, well, activism isn't necessarily what you think either. It isn't necessarily going out there on the street. It can be as much as doing what you love and getting involved with it and really trying to make a difference where you can have an influence. So it's sort of partly it's about understanding what activism means. And for us, it's about, it's not, it's about encouraging young people from where they're starting from in order to feel that they've got some way of making a difference. And I think the real argument as, uh, for for continuing this is saying that actually it's the disempowerment of young people that's the real critical issue here. If It's only through actions that you get hope. And so it's hopeful to say, well, actually, I can do something, you know, if that's just talking to my parents about our decisions or if it's meeting in school with an eco group or it's, running a climate survey, which we'll talk about, and finding and getting other young people's viewpoints. You know, there are very, very many ways to take action. And it's not all about, um, you know, being on, on the street. You know, that's very interesting to hear. But it's also, I think we will getting into more depth to what role school plays in, in encouraging um, sort of visioning as well, you know, and modelling a vision for sustainability. And I, I think we will talk about that later, but schools are such a major part in young people's lives and individual oh. teachers are as well, that it's hard to say that that, that doesn't happen anyway. You know, role modeling happens anyway. So we role model for good, don't we, as much as we can.
0: That's interesting what you say about disempowerment. Uh, I talked to Kip Rackley in an earlier uh, podcast. We discussed climate anxiety, eco anxiety, and, and Kit talked about it being a safeguarding issue, but if you give children that that way in to at least beginning to do something, that reduces that feeling of disempowerment. I think
1: that's right. Yeah, uh, we've, we've got some great uh, statistics from a report we're just publishing, we've published and just releasing now. But you know, it's exactly that. It's sort of looking for action and and feeling that they've got to say and. So you know, if it's about well-being, schools have a responsibility to show that that there is a way out of this. You know that there are there are contributions that we can all make. Um, so it's sort of a combination of us sort of getting alongside students to hear what what they how they think they can make a difference, and and also for us it's about the longer term for students as well. The sorts of decisions that they're making now in school that's going to influence directions of their lives. So that can be about you know the subjects that they're taking, but the career steps that they're having to choices that they're making now towards a greener future. So sort of opening those vistas as well is, has always been important for Nirvana, to show that actually it's you know you can make choices in your on your own space, you know, on, on your own and but also your longer term future and also for those around you, influencing those around you.
0: You've done some fantastic work with Climate Voices and I want to ask about that. But before I go, I'd just like you to tell me a little bit more about Interclimate Network and how that started and how it's grown.
1: So so we've been very um, long established in one way, but um, we came from a development education centre. So over in Gloucestershire, there was a development education centre called Gloucester, And the chairman at the time, John Davidson, was also chairman of the International Umbrella Association for Development Education. Um, And he had a vision that young people should uh, be supported to take active roles in climate change and uh, be supported in their leadership. So this was back in 2008. Um, So we actually uh, started an international project then called International Climate Challenge with Kenya and Indian uh, students a three-way project and it's been going since then you know we've had some great work great initiatives um, and we started uh, to form into interclimate network as a trust as a charity so global dimension trust as was uh, merged with the project international climate challenge and we've become interclimate trust as a charity and interclimate network as our sort of brand our, our outward facing uh, name and so we've been continuing really since 2008 2009 uh, supporting young people thinking about projects that we can do and really trying to engage uh, leadership amongst young people since then
0: you, you mentioned, mentioned that when, when we were talking earlier I mentioned an interesting question from a student a couple of, from a couple of days ago and it was how have attitudes changed to climate change?
1: It was a really good question, that came up in a panel discussion to, to one of the other guests. And if you've been around, so we've been around since Copenhagen, which was a cop, um, which was billed as the cop to end all cops. Here we are, you know, 13 years later, aren't we? You know, So that was a long time ago, um, when actually it felt like you were pushing us closed doors quite a lot. You know, in climate change was a left field um, discussion. Just for me, it's really felt like it's moved to the centre field now, partly because of what we see on the news. You, know, you can't actually turn on the news without some sort of evidence in your face. But partly that I think that the, the um, public has accepted, and certainly young people have, that we're in a crisis. It's a climate, climate crisis that we're facing, and we can't ignore it anymore or put our heads in the sand, which I really did think for many years um, politicians were able to do and, and um, certainly now it's got to the point where you know everybody particularly the young people's pressure has really brought that to bear. We hear a lot from politicians saying if it, if it hadn't been for young people's voices they possibly wouldn't have woken up themselves so it's been a big shift.
0: While we're talking about young people and anyway, it, it would be really interesting for you to take us through the Climate Voices programme And how that's developed, that's really, uh, that really is empowering students to to talk and process information from other students and get information from elsewhere to to improve their knowledge, which I still think some are concerned about. I was looking at a Sky newspaper, uh, a Sky News report, and it, it had done a survey and there were still many students who felt they weren't informed enough.
1: That's right. I think it, it can be perspectives, can't it? You can end up sort of hearing a lot about one element of climate change, which might be the, the the you know the weather or you know one element, but to get a whole picture is quite difficult because it is such a complex issue. And so what we've done through Climate Voices is, is sort of the the heart of it is climate conferencing, and so we've looked at for many years actually following the climate and um, the COP united nations process so that's the conference of the parties as a way to bring that in those global perspectives but also the on the ground perspectives from around the world so that young people really do if they it's a role play so they role play a country and then all the countries come together at a conference um, that can be in real time or virtual time virtual space um and they really do get to grips with the sorts of issues that are going on around the world because they've researched them, we've given them some briefings, you know, some opportunities for them to look further into it, and that they get that perspective about the key themes, really, you know, without you having to sort of lay out the key themes, students recognise them, you know, ones of the big questions that that are being tackled now, but, you know, social justice, climate, the um, historic climate legacies, the loss and damage. Who is supposed to pay for all of the the previous emissions that we've put out from uh, countries, the most vulnerable countries? You know, it, it just really comes across. So climate conferences are a way for for young people to explore those issues and really engage with them themselves. So that's been a core part of the program. But second to that is so you've got the the out there, the global. But for a sense of space, referring back to what you said earlier, the, the place is important. So it's out there, that engagement to understand the big picture. But what's, what's happening in your area? You know, what are you able to do? What's, what, what are the points of influence in your area? It's been really critical to our conferences as well. So that's about holding conferences where we can ask uh, local authority support, that the council leaders and the mayor to open the event ask the the council leader to give a speech and for the young people to question those leaders and say, Well, what are you doing in our area? and to find out what that means in your school as well. It can be that you can, if you're running a conference in your school, you could ask your senior leader to be there and ask them for a QA. What are we doing in our school about this? So it's that sort of sense that actually you do have, as a young person, a right to ask the questions. You know, what, what are we actually doing about this? How are you making a difference that's going to, that I'm going to see? You know, and how can I be involved in that? So creating panels or marketplaces, seeing what else is going on through um, you know, through, through showcasing other schools' work has been a real key sort of motivator um, for, for those conferences. And then secondly, so that's at a local level, but in the last year or so, uh, so, at a national level, InterClimate has in the last year or so become the secretariat of the governmental all party parliamentary group on youth action against climate change. So, this is a group that is of MPs that they run events and activities in parliament uh, with the view of elevating youth voices. So, really um, getting those voices and perspectives known amongst uh, as fellow MPs in Westminster. So ICN is providing support and the backup for that and looking at how to engage in those events and opportunities for young people to speak at that sort of um, central decision-making place as well. So that's been quite exciting as well as local uh, influence to try and and see how young people can engage with national decision-making. And the third strand in the last year, uh, two years, We've really honed in on supporting young people through a climate action survey. So this has been about trying to harness um, a survey and the data and bespoke analysis it produces for a school to support young people in their drive. So it might be an eco-group or it might be a lead group or, or a lead teacher in some cases, but in their drive to engage their fellow students and to drive the climate action and behaviour change ultimately in school. So we called this. Uh, we asked the students. We got a lot of engagement with students in developing it, it during lockdown. This was so the hats off to those students for staying involved during lockdown. Um, and we asked what they thought it should be called. Um, and one of them was changing the world one survey at a time, which I thought was quite quite great actually. Um, but we settled in the end on the climate action survey because that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get the views across a whole school in order to to
0: support climate action that was really interesting for me now if I put myself back in school and I I don't know quite enough I'm, a, I'm feeling a bit I'm feeling a little bit as though I need more information and I haven't got an awful lot of time but what you've just told me is fantastic so I'm thinking mm, it would be really useful to get one of those organized in my local area what's my what are my steps
1: and when you say one of those, do you mean a conference? or do you yeah, mean a conference. A conference. Yeah. So what what we've done in the last year or so is, is create a conference that can be run in the classroom or that it could be run between schools. Um, and so the first thing really is to see if you've got a good, friendly geography teacher, which you will have, who firstly would perhaps want to run a conference in the classroom. So we've had a few... Um, We've got the resource, it's all online, it's sort of a pack, and what we do with our resources is try to make them as straightforward as possible for teachers to just download and run with and to hand over to their students to research. So the briefings are all there, the country setups, sort of background notes, and we've done it as though it's a COP26. So obviously really pertinent at the moment. we have been supporting schools to run it in schools, uh, also between schools, They may have neighbouring schools. This has been happening in the last last few weeks. They're bringing in their neighbouring schools at sixth form level, for example, um, to to run a climate conference. And then some schools have been doing it virtually across an academy chain. So that's happening even today. Um, One of the academy chains in Wakefield is running it with 13 schools online. And we've supported another one like that in South London as well. So it might be that you're You just need um, one sort of really strong bit of support from a teacher and you could be running that. And the classroom one works very well. So we've had um, feedback from a teacher who's very supportive in Hounslow and she's run them for every year, seven and eight environmental science student for the last three years. So that's 460 students, she said, uh, recently have all undertaken a climate conference. So, it's a mini course in the classroom. So, you can do it over a couple of weeks of preparation and then an hour's conference. And, you know, it's tight for time, but it's still effective. And the students reported how much they loved it. And then the bigger events may be in a council chamber. So, again, there's a spectrum of ways to use the resource. And it's all open source. You, know, you can just download it, make use of it as you want, and adjust any of the actual briefings yourselves. And actually, just last week, we heard that primary students have been running it. So one of our partner centres, Liverpool World Centre, have used it um, with primary age students in order to, to get them engaged that adjusted the briefings. The briefings are really um, secondary 11 to 18 because of the complexity of, of the way we set it up. But as I say, they can be adjusted to, to primary. So that's the first thing is to, to get your friendly geography teacher on board.
0: Although, as well, I think for me, I'd want it to go across. I think I'd want it to go across all the subjects. I'd want, the, yeah. to want technology to be involved in yeah. the aspect of change that we need to be looking at.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and so within the conference, we say, you know, it's geography, but actually, it's sort of negotiation skills, it's geopolitical. You've got politics coming out there. You know, you've got also the um, PSHE, the sort of the, the, the need for active citizenship. It's really cross it is cross spectrum as an opportunity to um, to really engage in in critical thinking, which is where it's coming from really at its heart, It's saying this is an issue that we all have to engage with critically and understand. And this is one tool for doing it. You know, it's one tool for exploring multiple perspectives in sort of in a I have, I have to say the word, but sort a dynamic way, you know, it's fun, it, it's fun for the students. To engage in that debate it is you know and they really warm to the to their role and uh, you get some amazing debates
0: actually what we'll do is we'll put the links in uh when we when we do the the podcast um on the, the ga website so anything that we've been talking about teachers can just click on and find straight away
1: Brilliant.
0: which should be really useful tell me a little bit more about the climate action survey because that's it's gone to several thousand students now hasn't it You've been involved with a whole range through yeah. that 11 to 18 group.
1: Yes, that's right. So we we designed this and we really worked right from the beginning with university students in the University of Gloucestershire. So there's two cohorts of students who've been very supportive through their their, um, their course leader as well, helping us to identify key themes that are there in the literature, sort of academic themes that, that we could use to inform structure of a survey so we were keen to to look at the youth engagement um everything from sort of the way that students think about climate change through to the way that that they want their school to act and what might motivate them to take more action in school so it's wholly school focused secondary focused, but it's also a student-led resource that we've developed with them so that they and when i say they might be sort of a lead Eco group or a team of a climate action team. It may be prompted by a teacher. One of the one of the schools actually, it was a teacher who really wanted to kickstart it, so he used the survey as a way to kickstart action in school. So it's a way to to sort of roll something out that's quite easy. We've done most of the legwork on developing the survey with feedback from students and the support of the the undergrads in order to get something that's sort of user friendly. And it's on SurveyMonkey, it can just be rolled out. And then when what comes back, what, what happens is that the team here analyses the data and produces a bespoke report for each school. So you really get to grips with who's responded and so the sorts of groupings in school of who's taking action, who's not quite ready to take action yet, uh, those who feel disempowered. And then what we've tried to do with that is they... Across the survey so far, we've gathered them into one report that's just been published to try and get an image of, of what that means for schools, what can we do to enable action.
0: And we can put the link on for that too, because that's out now, isn't it? Of course? It is, Yeah. yeah. How, what's your feeling about, about how students are, are seeing this? Are they, through this process, do they feel uh, more confident do they feel less anxious, or are they still as anxious?
1: And, and anxious uh, is an interesting word because what, what we ask um, in our survey, asking our survey is, "Are you concerned about climate change?" rather than the word anxious, because um, there are sort of two differences. We weren't doing a climate anxiety survey, so that wasn't the word we used. But the sort of concern is obviously there. So you've got eight out of 10 students concerned about climate change. And then within that, you've got a percentage that are concerned but not necessarily doing anything about it. So we get a clear sense of sort of disempowerment that can come through that was mentioned already. But then there's a, at the other side, there's the, the active students who are very well informed and are doing things as well. So, you know, you've got a range And anxiety, as I say, it's sort of tied for us to, um, do you feel like you can do anything about it? And for those who are really at the heart of it, they do feel they can do something about it. And that's where it's important for us as, whatever we can do through our organisation, but sort of in school context, back to the beginning conversation, is what can school do to empower that action for the most young people? Uh, and, and give them a sense that they've got a voice and a say in what's happening in school as well as in their, their local area. So the survey gives sort of real um, pointers to that, you know, of how to engage young people, of what we, from what the young people say themselves, what will motivate them to get more engaged. So they've come back with responses about what will motivate them. And schools, when they see they get this sort of detailed report back, they can see how to... Um, yeah, what, what will enable more action and more engagement?
0: Do students generally feel that they're being taught enough, or do they feel that they need more information? Is there a feel for that through
1: the? Yeah, series? there was a feel. about. Know, so we've we've got a nice sort of summary in the uh, of the key findings in the report, and you know, so you've got eight out of ten are concerned. And then knowledge is sort of quite strong. You might have, I think about 57% says they feel like they've got to get enough knowledge, which actually isn't massive, is it still? You know, that is considering the surround sound um, that this generation will have grown up with. You know, it's still interesting that this isn't 100% feel like they've got enough knowledge. Um, but then translating that into to action, there is quite a gap. So in the school context, that only 21% said they were taking action on climate change in school. So there's a big gap between knowledge and action. And the sort of actions we're talking about with uh, things like the changing your diet, you know, rec- recycling, having an energy sort of conscious approach, you know, it's the sort of using waste, uh, thinking about waste. It's sort of the, it's the things that we can have an influence of in school. Um, as well and, and young people don't feel like they're engaging in that in a school context so, so that's really it's a big concern that isn't it you know after all these years when we know so much about climate change and we all really do not understand what we should be doing it's a big gap to say right we've got knowledge but we're still not acting mm-hmm. and I think that echoes what we um, saw sort of surveys this week really about general public across the world as the survey came out there's, there is a big gap, we all know that this, we just, it needs to be helped, we need to be helped to actually take action now.
0: There's a, there's a, there is a curriculum issue as well, I think, for schools, isn't there? Because as we were talking, you, the first stage might be to go through a geography teacher, but actually, the real stage would be to go through a leadership team and say, look, this has to permeate everything that we're doing, yeah. and it isn't just about information, but it's about these other things. So it's talking to leadership teams that's a key
1: to Really interesting. So you asked what the students have been doing. And, you know, they're so proactive. Uh, some of these groups are amazing. So just one school, they've already been on the radio promoting what they've been doing this week. The Solihull School uh, went on local radio. So what they've done, and actually several of the schools, is present their findings back to senior leaders to say actually how are you going to respond to this survey so they have taken them the the, by the horns they've also gone to teachers and said you know this is what's happening in school and we'll follow up with you so the the school in Solihull are putting a survey together for teaching staff to assess climate trends and they also want to speak to staff about COP26 so they took part in a model climate conference they want to share that learning uh, with teachers and then they're also going to the whole school, so presenting um, to pupils across the school about the outcomes of what they've been doing. They call themselves a climate action group, interestingly, not an eco group, but a climate action group, and linking what they're doing to the outcomes of COP26. So it's really tangible, making those sorts of global to local, down to what are we doing with school connections. So absolutely agree with you. You know, it's surround sound now. You know, we need surround sound and school leadership and creating the sort of the, the sustainable sort of um community of action seems to me at the heart of it now. You know, it's not just about individuals. Individuals can really push for change, but it's the whole it's the whole place has to take it on board.
0: Mm.
1: And so um, you know, when we talked about out of the climate conference of what would enable change, we sort of identify four barriers to change and then flip them over into enablers. And I think they're really critical really because they're saying that um the knowledge can be one of the barriers and it's not reinforcing knowledge, but it's also creating opportunity. So young people really strongly said, um, you know, we just don't have time in school to do, we've got loads of ideas. But when are we going to do them? You know, the, so the opportunity is about time and it's about resources. The sort of structural changes that mean it's easier to make good choices, climate friendly choices. So it's so those structural things, it might be installing more equipment, you know, the water fountains through to you know, the, the food waste bins. You know, those sorts of recycling bins, installing that, those equipment, but making those opportunities sort of integral But you don't even think about them. That's where we are in society. We need to make those choices so easy that we just don't even think about them anymore. And then the big thing for the community of support is engaging young people with the rules so that they understand what they're doing and how that's going to help. So there's sort of opportunities to hear what's going to help, how can we get involved with that, how are young people's choices represented in this. Um, The other barrier being... um, being positive about it, it's awfully hard to feel, continue feeling positive if there's a sense that out there nothing's happening. And if you see in a school context, it's like a microcosm of society, isn't it? So many different priorities. And if the climate crisis isn't one of the priorities, it's easy to feel despondent. You know, why aren't, why am I bothering doing anything when nothing else is happening? And for students, that really came across strongly from. The perspective on government, you know, and decision makers—they just—it's so sort of, um, well, it's heartbreaking in a way. It's saying, "Adults, oh, you're just not doing it. We know you're not doing it. And and why not? You know, what what are you? Why are you messing with us, our future like this? It's so clear. And I think in a con- school context, it's a microcosm of that. It's saying, "Why aren't you stepping up and making this an absolutely integral path? so that we can just join in and we're clear why we're doing it. Last one, last sort of barrier, there were lots, but this is the last, the fourth, the top barrier was, you know, young people have got lots of priorities. Climate change isn't the only thing they think of, you know, it's not in a school, you know, you've got a whole range of views. And what's clear is that for some young people, climate change is just one background noise. You know, it's not, I live and breathe it, not the same for everybody. And so, um, is how to make climate actions sort of uh integral to other things as well, so their own priorities. So one key, key motivation is saying linking climate action to other campaigns about making life better. So you know, the healthy eating campaign. And it's very interesting how many young people are changing to become vegan or to on the back of healthy living as well as climate change. So it's sort of the win-win scenarios, and those sorts of um, positives, where you can bring in other priorities, can be real enablers as well for, for better sort of uh, better engagement. I
0: think the news and media can be a barrier too. I've uh, just as I was looking, um, there's Greta Thunberg saying that uh, COP26 is a failure and a PR event. We've got the likes of Jeremy Clarkson saying nasty things about Greta Thunberg anyway. Yeah. Um and, and so you get an awful lot of mixed messages coming out and as young people it's it, it even that's confusing.
1: I know and you know some of the messages are quite, quite um distressing, aren't they? You know, they're distressing for me. You know, I work in, you know, I'm an adult, I've lived a full life, you know, and and I get very distressed by some of those messages a storm around the kitchen at times, you know. So um so for young people it's and um, what was interesting in the survey was, where do you get your messages from? And who do you trust? Um, so we asked that. And social media obviously plays a big part in it. But schools, honestly, schools came out tough. You know, this is, when you ask, why should schools be doing this? I just think it's bad. It's Young people are at school, they trust school, and they look to individual teachers for inspiration. So many of them cited individual teachers showing them you know what's important and making it sort of clear to them what's important but through what they were doing not necessarily what they were saying so I think that role modeling and for schools is just crit- critical at this time as well as their families you know, so it's really interesting so for young people those who are acting 90 percent of them are acting with the, within the family with the support of the family and for those who weren't acting, they said, well, they really didn't have the same level of family support. If that's lacking, school fills that role, doesn't it? You know, of what society is, how society is changing and how we're moving towards a more climate friendly way of being.
0: That's really encouraging, actually, that you've said that. That'll cheer up an awful lot of teachers who are sitting there thinking, oh, I don't know whether I've had an impact at all, really. But actually... Quite often, students won't say anything directly to the teacher, They yeah. often they think about it afterwards and they process it for, for some time. You obviously are having a, an impact. What, what do you hope for the future as you carry on with this?
1: Well, this is the critical decade, isn't it? This next 10 years. You know, the COP26, for all of the negatives and for all of the difficulties, they understand now that if we have really going to gonna get to grips with this, it's got to be now and this next 10 years is is it. And so they're talking at COP26 about not just coming back every five years to review progress, but the vulnerable countries want them to come back every year now. Come back every year and tell us how you're getting on. For me, that's critical um, for us all, really. It's saying we all have to hold each other to account now. So if it's you at COP26, come back each year, tell us what you're doing at school level you might have a climate action plan tell us about it well, let's see it rolling out so each school has a commitment to and it's not it's climate education but it's climate action as well and schools are going to have to do that as part of their carbon emissions sort of reporting that's going to be happening rolling out so for us ICN we can see how young people we can support young people to support that process you know, holding decision makers to account by feeling like they've got a the voice, but also showing how um, climate act emissions, the carbon emissions can be impacted by bringing other people along. Mm. So we're hoping that the Climate Action Survey will show, you know, if we roll it out from next year, looking at how that really can support behaviour change in school and really show how how a carbon emissions plan or a climate action plan can be implemented. So it's sort of supporting young people to feel they're part of the process. I think the
0: idea of uh, coming back every year is really key. It, it's easy to make a pledge. Yeah. And then say by 2030, I'm going to do this. But just at the moment, I'm not going to do anything because it's not 2030.
1: Yeah.
0: We still haven't delivered. I, I was reading COP26 hasn't delivered on the 100 billion cash for from rich to poor countries.
1: Absolutely.
0: They haven't decided on the rules for reducing carbon footprints. And... And I'm still not entirely sure about net zeros and what it all means. I saw a tweet by David Redfern, and he said, a lot of net zeros being bandied about, but net zero what? So what does net mean? And it's not just zero carbon, it's zero methane. it's What What? What do we mean by all of that? I don't and know. And you
1: know what? It's the best, best thing I ever heard, so I used to um, follow Christiana Figueras, who was the leader of the COP process right up to, to 2015, um, she's sort of a formidable uh, diplomat, actually, and she she enabled the COP26 with, with a massive team, of course, but formidable leader. And it seemed to be, she, she gave the clearest answer ever, which is that COP 20, uh, COP15 and the Paris Agreement was about making sure that we live a life that's about decarbonising our lives so that fossil fuels are no longer at the heart of them. And so it's a very clear sort of mandate. And what we're looking for now is commitment to that. And where you've got reticence is from uh, countries where their economy is so wholly driven by fossil fuels. And so the pushback this week is from Saudi Arabia and Australia. It's the countries where, actually, they're so far behind in this shift that they're really, I, I would think in the next few years, they're going to be um, so far behind that they're going to have to run to catch up. So it's the nations, uh, there was a report out this week, it's the nations that have already tr- started that transfer to renewable energy. Their economies actually are going to, to hold up really well. So these sorts of arguments about economies failing, actually, it's not going to bear out if they've already started that, um, that shift. renewables so it's to me it's about um keeping that pressure on keeping that pressure on all of the 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 decision makers at any level about how are we going to decarbonize our futures it's it's almost
0: we, we talk about the commons sometimes when we talk about the oceans and we talk about the commons when we talk about antarctica or the arctic but there's a there's a bigger commons which um, is about helping these countries. Some of them have more money to be able to help themselves, so Saudi Arabia do. But for Brazil, it's a bit of a cheek for us to say you can't deforest when the UK is probably, I think, probably the worst country in the world for uh, having deforested and having no no trees per. Well, you know what
1: I mean. Absolutely, per square, square yard, or whatever it was, yeah. I
0: ran out of words there.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and this is where, you know, in the in the past, in the conferences, there's been such a lot of, of angst, you know, about that, and such a lot of pushback from these developed countries, you know, and so countries feeling the brunt of, of our development, the the developed world, industrialised world, you know, and should we be paying for it? So, you know, it moved away from that in 2015 by the Paris Agreement, by each nation agreeing its own uh, contributions. And payment is a massive part, part, but it really as well, just back to your point earlier about this decade and and now, you know, what we're doing now, actually, um, adaptation is so much more than, um, going to to be required, so much more than they were anticipating. We're already further down the line than we thought. And this is the real concern, you know, so we're not, we're, the money actually is about them adapting, making sure that those coastal areas are going to survive. You know, the cities, you know, like 80% of, of the world's population are going to be cities, all of those cities on coast, what are they going to do? How are they going to survive, you know, and adapt? I was even watching the Thames Barrier, did you see that on, last night on the news? How many times it's going to be open? How many times in the next? 50 years, it's going to have to be open. You know, it's going to be brought forward. It's going to need to be replaced. Mm. And what really was critical to me in that article was they knew 30 years ago that sea rise was going to happen. They didn't call it climate change, but they called it sea rise. And so they built in um, this. But so this has been going on for a long time. You know, I was quite shocked by that. You know, the terms Barrier was built in the full knowledge of sea, sea rise. And yet here we are 30 years later. As if we're only just waking up to it, um, and so for me, it's all about pressure now. You know, putting people putting their money where their mouths are. I'll say that money where their mouth is, and their action to follow
0: up. It is tricky because politics tends to be short term. It's short term wins, so doing something that's uh, going to work for thirty years hence is not something that a number of politicians would think about. Um, how confident are you then? about the future. You've talked to young people, you've got their views on it and, and you're well aware of what's going on in COP26 now. You've lived all this. So how do you feel about the the future?
1: I think I'm positive. It's difficult. Some days I feel like despairing, but then other days I go down to my local area and you sort of see, you know, over the last 10 years, in my just my local town, we've got all, all sorts going on. You know, and I hear about that replicated around the country. So in my town, we've got got a food bank, a community fridge. We've got a a refill shop. Actually, the thing that gives me most hope is my market store, veg, veg store, and they moved away from plastic bags and they give paper bags now. And you think, oh, tiny, tiny. But, you know, tiny, tiny, 10 years ago just wasn't happening. So here we are, you know, 10 years on. And individuals are, are understanding it and taking action and coming together. And so it's that sort of community of action that I that inspires me. And I suppose within school context, it's that that we're we're looking for as well and supporting through our work. That sort of school community of action where where you can make a difference.
0: I'm going to pinch that. Twenty tinies. I think that's a <laughs> that's our cry. Twenty tinies for the future. If everyone does that. <laughs> This has been fascinating talking to you. Um, is there anything I should have asked that I haven't?
1: Oh goodness. You see, now you've got me talking, I won't end, will I? This is what happens in our climate conferences. Once the students start talking, they don't they completely don't want it to end. Um <laughs> yeah. I think what one thing that we're really proud of just to touch on was um so young people have been writing uh for us as climate correspondents. So you know for young people there's a whole range of ways young people express themselves you know want to get involved for some writing is a really good way to do that and um, if any young people that you have you know for the teachers know who would like to be private correspondents, we're really proud of that so young people have taken it on they've researched a theme they've gone away and um, found out a lot and pulled it together and we've got some really nice stories on our website at the moment they're extremely well thought through and um and the perspective that they are interested in. So just to flag like those up, so there's a uh, few up there, one on the International Energy Agency, there's a story about the um, Syrian civil war, a few stories there, but you know also the opportunity for students to, to submit their own work and, and we would be keen to promote
0: it. Yeah, I forgot to ask about that actually, yes, because I, I, I've, I've followed up on that and read through some of those, it's fascinating. How do students get involved? Do, do they do it through teachers, or, or do they?
1: No, they can just click on our website, you know. And there's there's an option to to become a climate correspondent, you know, so just get involved, yeah, just if they want to. And it's not onerous, you know. If they want to do one article, that's fantastic. If they want to do any more, brilliant, you know. So, and it could be through something that they're researching through school anyway, and they just would like to share that further. So, just get in touch on our website.
0: Oh, that's good actually, because it, as a as a teacher, then that's um, the outcome is, is, has a real purpose. I could set that as as a as a as a homework, possibly. But then the outcomes are that they can see it actually being published on a yeah,
1: on a anything, yeah. brilliant, yeah, fantastic. That would be fantastic.
0: Well, I think that's possibly where to end. I think that's fantastic. Thank you very much. That's been really interesting. Thank you.
1: And um, thanks to you for letting me have. let me speak.